Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Tell them to call my phone. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Arizona Fit. My name is Ian Knight, and today's episode is brought to you by Work CBD's brand. Even when you're at your worst, it still works. And always, you are in for a special treat today. Today, I sit down with the founder and owner of Elbow Grease Boxing Fitness, Tavisha Norwood. And today, we're going to learn about her background as a gymnast cheerleader and what led her boxing her way into the olympic trials and how she brings that same resiliency to your training sessions and helps you accomplish your dreams hey i hope you're all ready and before we get started big shout out to our sponsor and i also want to encourage you all to click that like and subscribe button because those likes those subscribes we are able to bring you awesome guests and awesome content all throughout the year with that said much love be sure to hit share and enjoy. All right, Tavisha, go ahead and introduce yourself out there to all our beautiful listeners. So thank you for guys for, for listening. Uh, my name is Tavisha. And when you see it spelled, it is spelled with the R. The R is silent. Um, I like to say that that's a new development in the English language there. So Tavisha with a silent R. If it's more convenient for me, you can call, you call me T. It's totally fine. Either one, whichever one works best for you. But now we got that out the way, um, I am Tavisha Norwood. I have been in the fitness industry since two years old, um, really. Um, I started out as a gymnast. I was a gymnast for eight years, eight or 10 years, I don't remember. Um, and then I was a cheerleader, and that's actually how I paid my way through college. I am a HBCU graduate, historically black college and university. I actually went to two of them, Morris Brown College, as well as Southern University, A&M College in Baton Rouge, um, Louisiana. Um, and then I graduated from Southern. And then um, I also have a master's in, um, in management. So I have an MBA and a BS in psychology. After I graduated from college and got my master's, I started boxing. Actually, I started boxing while I was getting um, pursuing my second master's. I didn't finish that one, though. Um, so long story short, um, since I have been in the industry, it has changed my life um, in more ways than one. And, and I think that we'll get to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and now I am a certified personal trainer as well as um, health coach. And uh, I look forward to talking with Ian and letting you guys know a little bit more about my story uh, as a competitive boxer, gymnast, and cheerleader, and now a health coach, as well as a personal trainer slash slash sports-specific coach. Well, with that said, everyone, you just got the entire episode in about two minutes. <laughs> Go ahead, and uh, we'll tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, everyone, in case you, um, you're going to find out later on, but uh, Miss Norwood here, she actually hosts, she's actually a host of her very own podcast as well, and she'll fill you in a little bit later on that. So uh, this episode should be incredibly crisp. And I mean, very crisp. So um, as mentioned earlier, Tavisha, you started off with gymnastics at a very early age. Um, you said since two. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on what it was like growing up being a gymnast? 
Um, well, uh, I don't think I actually had a choice um, because I was pretty active as a kid. I was one of those kids who climbed over everything and anybody. Oh, hold so, on. So, I, so you're telling me you were a kid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, up until two. Up until two years old. Um, my grandma stuck me in gymnastics because I was breaking things and climbing on things and, you know, uh, prone to hurt myself. So... That's how I got started in gymnastics. I also got my first trampoline at two years old. Not sure how safe that is, but back then nobody nobody really cared. You ate dirt, you know, you played with snakes, you did whatever. If you hadn't noticed, I grew up in the in the country. But gymnastics was the foundation for everything. I highly recommend anybody um, who's ever wanted to get into sport at least get a foundation in gymnastics because it teaches you um, so much. But I made it to level nine as a gymnast. Um, and then I developed some mental blocks, and that pretty much ended my career. Um, I hurt myself. I was doing a vault, learned a new vault, and landed on top of my head and tore some ligaments on the right side of my neck. And that kind of ended my journey there with um, gymnastics. But it and, was my life. And how yeah. old were you when that injury actually happened? Um, I want to say 11 or 12. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was rough. Um, I had to go in the ambulance and everything. They tied my, I don't know what that board is called that they tie you to, but I was, I felt like I was stuck to the back of that board for like two days because the back of my head hurt more than my actual neck because they put so much pressure on your head when they strap you to that board that they put you in an ambulance. And I promise you, they hit every bump on the way to the hospital, mm. um, in that, on that journey. And, uh, I just remember being excruciating pain. That's probably the worst pain I ever felt in my life. Well, I mean, besides the physical pain, I mean, I mean, mentally, that had to be pretty rough on you because just thinking back to what it was like when I finally gave up football, finally, I mean, I was in a pretty deep depression. I mean, being 11 and having your everything that you probably know and identify yourself as taken away from you, that had to be a little rough. I mean, how, how did you how did you bounce back from that? Um, at 11, I don't think I had the skills to to bounce back from that. Um, but kids are resilient. So I think I just kind of put it in my Pandora's box because it was a tough transition back to regular, quote unquote, regular life. Because at a high level gymnast, as a high level gymnast, you don't really get to have a life outside of school and practice and competitions. So being, you know, trying to acclimate, not even reacclimate, because I never had a chance to from the beginning. Um, back into you know, kid society, I guess, um, was pretty, pretty stressful. I got picked on. I was called Hercules um, because I don't know if you know, but gymnasts are pretty, pretty fit. So I had oh, yeah. the veins, the veins in my arms. So I looked like a little, just a little butterball muscle. And so at that time, this is before the boys had gone through puberty. So I was stronger than them. And so it was just, it was a lot of hurting guys going go around on that playground. <laughs> Middle school was rough for me, to say the least. I will not. You can pay me a million dollars to go back to middle school. No way. No way, Jose. Not going. Uh, yeah. Not doing I'd it. agree <laughs> that a lot of people would say the same thing. Middle school, when you're, <laughs> you know, when you when you should or start really exploring yourself coming into your own, it's it's a little bit rough, especially depending on your background. And so I've actually coached a fair amount of gymnasts in the past. Um, I am not very familiar with the the system, though. So when you say a level nine gymnast, um, I mean, just give our listeners a brief overview of this of the ranking system. So they changed it um, since now. They changed it because um, this was way back in the 90s. So um, you start off 
just a regular recreational type gymnast thing. And then your first competition level is usually level five. Um, and then you go six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 elite. So the people that you see, the gymnasts that you see on TV are elite level. That's a tippity tip top. And then there's level 10 beneath that and nine beneath that, eight, seven, six, and it goes backwards. Um, so that's how the female gymnastics goes. Men's gymnastics is, is, I think they're the same now, but back then it was opposite. So level one was a top level in men's gymnastics. So, um, but that's basically how, how it went. And each level you add on a little bit more skills. So there's only so many skills that you can do in level eight. There's only so many you can do in level nine. And so generally at a, at a gymnastics gym, you have to score a certain amount, a certain number. Back then we were on a 10 point scale. Now it's a 15 point scale. Hmm. Um, so the closer you got to 10 um, was the higher your score was. So you had to have, there's four events for women. So to, in my gym, to advance to the next level, you had to score 35 all around. So that, that means what is 35 divided by seven, um, but divided by four. That's, that was what your score had to be on each event minimum to get to the next level. And you had to do it in one week. Um, and so at the time I was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I mean, no, that makes sense. Like it's, it's a, it's a system that, you know, as you get better, you, you climb up the ladder. I actually like the sound of that, that I think we should uh, incorporate that in a little bit more of our sporting activities. It actually sounds pretty, uh, pretty measurable, pretty specific. Yeah, um, cheerleading just incorporated that, I want to say about seven, eight years ago, where they have levels too. They didn't used to have levels in cheerleading. So if you were a beginner, you had to compete with the elite when I was a cheerleader. So yeah, it was rough. Mm. Mm. And uh, I noticed earlier you mentioned your grandmother. She's, you know, you're running around breaking things. Grandma stepped in and said, uh, no, we're not doing this. Uh, <laughs> can you tell our listeners about the type of impact she's actually had on your life? My grandmother is my foundation, uh, my grandmother and my mother. But I spent the first eight years of my life living with my grandmother. My mom lived with us for the first few years of my life. Um, and then she moved and I moved back with her after um, after, after my later years. But um, I get my strength from my grandmother and my mother. Um, my grandmother was born in the 30s, 1930s. And we lived in deep South Georgia. The nearest mall was 45 minutes away, if that gives you an idea of how, how country it was. My hometown had has one red light, still has one red light. I don't even think there's, you know, a thousand people that live in my city to where I'm from. And so it was very, very rural. So to give you an idea of the strength of my grandma and the strength that I had instilled in me, I didn't have a choice. Um, I remember one time, um, me and my grandma were outside. And the dog stayed outside and he was in his cage and there was a rattlesnake and the rattlesnake was just hissing and it was just standing up like he was getting ready to attack the dog. I'm standing about 10 feet away and I yelled to my grandma at this time. I'm about maybe like three, four years old. I yelled to my grandma. I called her granny and uh, this, for the snake. And she's like, stay right here. I'm gonna go get the shotgun. And I'm like, I'm three. What you want me to do if the snake comes running for me? What am I supposed to do? I just remember standing there being scared she wanted me to keep an eye on the snake to make sure it moved that i saw where it went to so my grandma came back with her double barrel shotgun and shot the snake um so that kind of gives you um an idea of the the strength of my grandma and the strength that was expected of me from a very early age i helped picked i helped pick 
greens, collard greens, bell peppers, potatoes, tomatoes. Okay, so corn. she. Okay, so you guys had a full blown farm like uh, like my family still does in Arkansas. Then. Yes. Yes. Um, my great grandmother had a farm. So. And my grandma had a, a pseudo farm, as you can, as you might want to call it. She still has chickens in, in a garden. Oh, okay, man. Yeah, you know that's a that's incredible. Our, you know, we probably have similar uh, family backgrounds as well. Uh, just in case a lot of you listeners, um, I think I've mentioned it before in my past, but uh, my dad is from Mississippi, and my grandma's side of the family, or my mother's side of the family, is from Arkansas. So every now and then you'll hear that that twang. I don't apologize for it. You can suck it up and listen <laughs> to it. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. So three years, you have a great memory. I yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was about to say, I don't even think, I think my earliest memory goes back to maybe, maybe preschool. Well, my grandma did a great job of allowing me to be a kid, like playing in the dirt again. Um, And so that's what I got to be the first eight years of my life before I started gymnastics seriously was a kid. So those memories are pretty, pretty carefree and, and fun. Oh, well, your grandmother sounds like an excellent and a wonderful woman. And um, I know we talked a little bit before we started recording. I, I guess she also had a love of combat sports and WWE. Is that right? Yes. Um, I hated watching WWE because I was like, Granny, isn't this fake? Like, you can tell that they're not really hitting. No. It was like, I don't care. <laughs> so every Monday night, WWE Raw. Monday Night Raw, we had to watch that and uh, the soap operas. Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful were her too. So you can see the gamut that my grandma's personality ran. Mm-hmm. How much how much more feminine do you get watching the soap operas to how much more you know strong and assertive do you get watching WWE? So um, that, that pretty much sums up my personality as well. Although I don't watch either one of those now, but that's my foundation. <laughs> that's the range of gamut that I, that I go through. Uh, so when my grandma, the few times she did get to watch me box, uh, she was very involved, very involved. I remember her, I could hear her shouting in the ring um, while I'm fighting. Uh, so yeah, she was very supportive of all of my sports endeavors. So before we jump into the, uh, to the actual boxing journey, um, I know after gymnastics, um, you know, medically retired, you decided to jump into cheerleading, and that's uh, and that's really what propelled you into college uh, physically. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a little bit of background over your cheerleading career as well? So, the reason, one of the reasons why I say that everyone should try gymnastics out, especially if you want to go into a sport similar to gymnastics, um, transitioning from gymnastics to cheerleading was probably the easiest thing ever. So. Gymnast, I mean, cheerleading was never a challenge for me in that sense, other than learning how to fly, um, which is, you know, when they throw you in the air, you're the person um, in the middle of the pyramid or on top of the pyramid. That was what I did. I was usually in the middle of the pyramid. But cheerleading, um, we only practiced two days a week um, in high school. And but then in college, we practiced more like um, gymnasts. But I wouldn't change cheering for HBCU. Um, that, that was probably the highlight of my college career, standing on the sideline, listening to the band, listening to the crowd. There's nothing like cheering for an HBCU. If you're contemplating whether to go to a PWI and cheer because they're giving you a little bit more money um, for your scholarship or HBCU, I would choose HBCU because that's going to have the more long-lasting effect 
on your life in a positive manner because there's nothing like being around a bunch of like-minded black people without having to worry about the outside forces limiting your exposure and your opportunities. So if you're contemplating it, I highly recommend going to HBCU to cheer. If that's a male or female, whichever one you are, go to HBCU, you will not regret it. Yes, you may not be able to get, you may not you know win an NCAA championship or you may not win an NCAA championship, but the experiences that you have far outweigh that. I can, I can guarantee you that. And if you want a little bit more input as well, feel free to reach out to me via email or phone call, and I'm more than welcome to tell everyone about my experiences at an HBCU and <laughs> and guide you towards the correct ones as well. Um, just like any university, um, like I said, you want to make sure you do your background, check accreditations, and make sure it's a good fit for you. I talk to my athletes about that a lot of times. And um, Tavisha, it's funny that you actually mentioned Southern earlier as well. You might, well, this might be a little bit after your time, but I have a, I have a good handful of friends that actually went to Southern and played ball as well, and they loved it. And um, honestly, thinking back to when I transferred um, out of Wazoo, I wish I would have um, had that as an option, but my mom was a graduate of Jackson State University, so ah, naturally, okay. I, uh, I don't know if there's a rivalry there, but naturally, that's where I thought. Huge. <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> I think Jackson State has a rivalry with everyone. Like, you bring up Jackson State, everyone's like, oh, those guys. Yeah, well, for us, it's more about the band than it is. Uh, you know, if if our band is better than Jackson State's, we're good. And if the football teams have to happen to win, then that's just icing on the cake. So we'd rather have our band be better than, in my opinion, we'd rather have the band be better than the football team because that's what it's about when, when those two teams play each other. Uh, oh man, I, you know what? I'm gonna see if I can find some Battle of the Bands footage um, from back when we actually played. Uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Grambling, and see if uh, my mom still has it. So uh, we can sit here and talk about bands all day, but let's go ahead and talk about <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about more of the more of the the physical side that doesn't require any instrumental um, talents. Boxing. You were an excellent yes. boxer. You still are an excellent boxer. I'm going to watch my mouth well, because you. when I meet you in person, I don't want you to hit me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a common misconception that people have about boxers. Like we have an outlet for our aggression and for our anger. So when we're not inside the ring, we usually extremely chill. We're probably tired um, from training. Um, but uh, more than that, like you don't have any aggression left when you leave the ring because you left it all in the ring. Every day, every practice, you have to. You have to train how you want to fight, and I'm sure that's true of any sport. But with boxing, you can't call a timeout. You can't ask for a substitution. It's just you and your opponent. So every time you train, you have to train like you're fighting or else it's going to show up in the ring because all it takes is for your opponent to have one little extra spurt of energy than you do, and it's all over. So with boxing, that boxing is a metaphor for life. Are you gonna, are you gonna, are you are you gonna quit? Are you gonna, you know, fight fight or flight? It's the it's that fight or flight reflex. Everybody wants to uh, wants to wants to back up or get out of the ring or say give me a minute, but you cannot do that in boxing like you can any other sport. I would say. Um, boxing out of all the three sports that I played is probably the most mentally challenging out of all those three sports physically hard on your body I would say gymnastics but mentally it's boxing by far because everybody feels like they can fight 
But like Mike Tyson said, everybody got a plan until they get hit in the face. That's the same thing. That's my metaphor for life. Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. What you going to do? And that is so appropriate for the year 2020. And I actually <laughs> said something very similar on a podcast that I was just on uh, about my early boxing days as a kid because I didn't have a choice about that as well. And I told mm-hmm. them the same thing my coach told me. He said, what are you going to do when you get hit in the face? Are you going to are you going to hit back or are you going to, in his words, run away like a little bitch? (laughs) (laughs) And I found out very early on, I do not run away. If anything, I should learn. He he told me you should learn to strategically withdraw a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Strategically, strategically withdraw. I've never heard that before. Okay, I'm I'm going to add that to my repertoire. (laughs) But um, I mean, I mean, let's let's recap this a little bit. We went from gymnast to cheerleader to boxing. We grew yeah, up with a grandmother in the deep south who, you know, from all accounts that I've heard, fearless, you know. Yes. Just, you know, physically, mentally strong. And now we're boxing. That's a huge yep. jump. I mean, mentally, what went, in, what went on in your mind when you decided, hey, I'm going to step in the ring. Someone's going to hit me and I'm going to hit them. And one of us is going to walk out a winner. Like what happened there? So I've always wanted to learn a combat sport. Um, I was a, well, my, my older cousin, he was a guy, he's six years older than me. He was a, a big fan of Bruce Lee. So by default, I watched a lot of Bruce Lee growing up. So Bruce Lee played an impact on me wanting to learn a combat sport. Like being able to uh, make somebody, you know, fold with a finger punch, that's incredible. Mm. So, um, but gymnastics and cheerleading prevented me from you know learning a combat sport because obviously I didn't have time so once I became adult an adult and after my mom passed my mom had sickle cell um, and that was another huge impact on my life my mom passed when I was 24 so after that um, I had to really learn really learn how to be myself and become an adult because for the first 24 years of my life while I spent the first eight with my grandma, between eight and 24, was with my mom and being, you know, having to grow up fast because she was in and out of the hospital from the time I was about 13 until the time she passed when I was 24. Um, and towards the end, she had had brain surgery, had a gallbladder removed. Sickle cell is a very terminal, is a terminal disease. 100% out of 100 times out of 100, you're going to die from complications of sickle cell. So, and if you're not familiar with sickle cell, it is um, a blood disease. It is hereditary. Um, so you can't, it's not contagious. You have to, you, you, you're born with it. You mm-hmm. get it from your mother or your father. And so it affects your red blood cells and your red blood cells are shaped like a sickle or like a quarter moon. And so if your blood doesn't flow right, it's going to, you know, congregate in your joints. And that causes excruciating pain because your blood is not flowing to your joints and your organs like it needs to. So eventually your organs get tired and they start to die, really um, started to be so graphic. But um, that there's no other way to explain it. I'm very transparent in that way. But um, and so watching my mom slowly pass away um, was I, I, something that I never get over. But it's also how I've gotten into the health industry, because as a whole, black women, they tend to not take care of themselves, or if they do, it's the last on the option list. And so I want, my whole goal is to help, I, essentially black women, all women in general, but I'm a black woman, so I know more specifically how to help black women um, 
learn how to take care of their bodies and what their bodies need um, mentally and physically because it's different for everybody. And so that's why I cap my personal training at 20 to 25 people so I can give them individual attention and be available when they need me within reason. Um, and so back to how I got into boxing. The year after my mom passed, I do not remember. That's the one year of my life I do not remember. I just was, was surviving. And I knew that I didn't want to live in survival mode for the rest of my life. So what was the one thing that I wanted to do growing up that I never got to do? Um, boxing. And that was the time when um, the, the economy had crashed. I had just finished my master's, so I had no job. And so, okay, you have nothing else to do. So what is the one thing that's always made you feel better about yourself and giving you confidence? And that's a sport. So what's the sport you've always wanted to do? Boxing. So that's how I got into boxing. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, so yeah, that's how I got to boxing. That that is such a testament to your personality and the resiliency that you talked about earlier with gymnastics when faced with incredible difficulty. I tell this to the, I tell this to all my clients all the time because there's a mental switch when it comes to physical training. It all starts in the mind and it transfers to the body. It's, it's quite the opposite in yoga a little bit, but it really Mm -hmm. does. It's a mindset. You have to tell yourself, I'm going to do this, even though it makes me physically uncomfortable no matter what gets exactly. in my way, I'm going to finish it in a way. Exactly. And that's just what it's like stepping in the ring. When you step in that ring, you're not you're not coming out like that's just, right. you know, when you walk out that ring, someone either won or someone lost or someone bit somebody else's ear and they and they called it, which didn't happen in real life either. But yeah, but the point is, you're going to have to make a decision on do you want this or do you just think you want this? And from the sounds of it, I mean, you've really made that decision, you know, back when the economy crashed. I'm assuming we're talking the 2008 crash. Am I, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, and it, yeah. And it lasted for two years after that. So I don't I personally I don't think we ever really got over it. But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's a that's a that's that's going to be one I'm going to say for a business podcast later. But uh, let's let's go ahead and keep this moving because we could t- we, I'm telling you, we could do this all day. All right. So Olympic level boxing. I mean, yes. you, I mean, I think you really downplayed that for our listeners and I'm bad about this too. <laughs> you weren't, you weren't just like in there taking out aggression. I mean, you, you're, you are, you're good. I mean, look, I mean, let's go ahead and reference that to our audience. I mean, re- let them know really, I mean, what are you bringing to the table? Well, I have two God given talents. One is my ability to affect change and two is my athletic ability. Um, and so I can pick up any sport and it, it, and that's just been true my, my whole life. I believe everybody has that given talents. Those are my two. Um, and so whatever sport I put my mind to in general, I can, I can usually pick it up pretty quick. Um, but boxing wasn't that way in the beginning. And so I actually quit. I quit um, uh, after I had my first loss because I had never really been hit. And I got hit in the face. My eyes watered and I couldn't see for the rest of the fight. So after that, I was like, I'm done. Um, but, you know, I do have pride. And so I came back. My first five fights were horrible. But I had never been, I'm not used to losing like that. So I think I was two and three my first five fights. So I was determined to get good. So I didn't have a job. So the only thing I had to do was train. So I trained and trained and trained two a day, sometimes three a days, until I got to the point to where I could be good. Um, and it ended up getting me um, to the Olympic trials. 
2012, which was the first one for women um, ever. So that was the first time the uh, boxing was in Olympic trials for women. They only take one girl per uh, weight class. I fought at 112. Um, I hadn't been 112 pounds since I was probably about 10 years old. So cutting that weight was crucial for me. This is how I know the weight struggle because I had to know my weight down to the ounce every single day. And I had never had to do anything like that before. And so once I figured that out, um, I honestly believe that I could have won, but I didn't know that having the sickle cell trait because I have the sickle cell trait would affect me the way that it did. The Olympic trials was in Washington. And so the elevation was high. I did not know that you could have um, a sickle cell crisis as a trait with the trait. So in the ring, while I was fighting, it was the third, my, it was my third fight. My body just gave out on me and I took about 10 hits. None of them hurt, but my legs were killing me. I could not move. All I could do was cover up. And I remember that and I was so upset. So I started crying in the ring and I, they thought that it was me that was, that I was hurting. But I was like, no, cause I'm frustrated because I, in that moment I knew what was happening because my mom had described to me what a sickle cell crisis feels like. And that is what it felt like. Um, it, it was like, it was just excruciating pain in my legs and I could not move. And I just remember, I remember the judge counting to eight and like waving his hands like the fight was over. There was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do. I was just distraught. And I was like, well, there goes that. But um, drawing on the strength that I got from my grandma, um, I knew that God had a different plan for me. And um now I figured it out, and it's my my purpose is bigger than me, and um, I'm making sure that I live up to it or try my best to do so. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and let you know from the outside looking in because I think us as business owners and you know physical experts, we don't give ourselves enough credit, and everything that you've told our listeners here in the last almost thirty minutes is incredible. I mean, there are people out there who are training to, you know, do exactly what you've already done. And I'm sure they're going to find some guidance if they connect with you. Um, So one thing I want to get into. So, you know, went through the trials, didn't pan out the way that you thought it would. What did you do afterwards? So um, afterwards, I kind of, you know, gave myself some time to lick my wounds and figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, After that, um, I, about a month or so, I figured that uh, I wanted to continue to box because at the time, um, once the Olympic trials came around, I did have a job. Um, and so I was working, making $30,000 a year, not a lot at all. Um, I was driving 45 minutes each way to work, working on my second master's um, and training for the Olympic trials all at the same time. So I figured, what if I drop everything and just focus on boxing? So I moved to California. <laughs> um, to chase my dream. And that's how I ended up on uh, the West Coast. I trained with a recommended uh, coach from the Olympic Training Center, one of the coaches at the Olympic Training Center. And um, I found a job because uh, I needed a job. I had six months worth of savings at that time and I needed a job. So I walked around the corner, became a trainer. Um, I had just finished my certification. So I became a trainer and uh, that's how I got into the personal training industry, although I had been coaching previously. So that is how I got to the way that I coach um, is uh, I'm not just a personal trainer. I also coach. So I'm a coach first and then a trainer. 
because if you're working with me, I'm not just there telling you what to do. Uh, hopefully, I'm teaching you and we can work together and then we work in partnership to get you where you're trying to go. Um, and not just me telling you what to do, because if you don't learn anything, once you stop training with me, what are you going to do? How are you going to maintain the results that you got? I'm going to find a sound effect for that. I 100% agree. <laughs> That's and I, I, and I hoped you picked up on it, but there's a reason why any guests that I bring on the show, I don't call them a personal trainer. Yes, we may have to classify ourselves as that when we fill out our taxes. Wink, wink, if you fill mm-hmm. out taxes. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot. But personal trainer has such a bad connotation to it. Um, it does. And everyone that I bring on here, they're, they're, not, they're not quote unquote personal trainers. They're people who actually care about you. And it's proven by the work that they've done in the past and work that they continue to do in their community. And that's very obvious with you, Miss Norwood. Well, thank you. Okay. You're awfully complimentary. I'm going to put you in my pocket and take you with me everywhere I go. I'm going to need a compliment. Well, that, well I'm going to have to start charging you <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> But okay, so you know, jumped in, you know, got your got your PT certification, you know, make ends meet, financially responsible. Uh, six months of saving, you know, hey, I got to jump on it because I don't want to dip into that. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> how you landed your. Let's talk about how you landed the GM job here uh, right before COVID hit. So, um, but at this time, um, I've been that that became my career. I kind of fell into my career like I fell into boxing. Um, and so this is what happens when you follow your passion. You just things just pop up, and you be ready. You'll you'll be ready to take advantage of them. Um, and so um, I've always wanted to own my own boxing gym. And so this was the perfect opportunity. I worked at Rockbox, uh, which is a boxing fitness studio that also provides meal plans. And I was like, perfect. So I can learn how to run a boxing studio. Um, and then hopefully I can grow with the business. But um, eight months after I started there, COVID hit. I got furloughed. Um, and then a week after that, I was laid off. So now I have no income and all the gyms in the state of Arizona are closed. So I can't get a job even if I wanted to. So I was kind of, my back was up against the wall. My mentor had been telling me for like five years, to start your start your business, start your business. It doesn't matter if you have one client or, or none. Just start it. So I was, and he was like, "Well, looks like you got to start your business now, don't you?" So um, I started my business, and then for seven weeks, uh, unemployment in Arizona was backed up. So for seven weeks, I literally had zero income, and the only thing that held me together was my personal training clients. Was my clients that I was coaching. And they were more than happy to, you know, exchange training for money. So I was like, whoa, maybe he was right. Why didn't I listen before? So um, at this point, um, I pick up about one or two clients every week, which is about the pace that I could tolerate right now because I'm just getting started and there's so much that I'm still building. Um, And I've only spent maybe $40 in marketing. Um, And just by word of mouth, and talking to people and anybody who has any type of question about personal training or coaching or boxing, I've been willing to answer. Um, because every single person I talk to is a potential client or, and you never know how you affect somebody else's life. So just always trying to be positive and always listening more than I talk when I'm, when I'm talking to anyone who has a question about anything that I do has helped me to, um, continue to grow 
when I expected it to be, you know, like pulling teeth to get this thing off the ground. All right. Now, you know what, Tavisha, I can definitely hear it and I can see it. But I think we're skipping over one big factor there, the psychology behind it. Yes. You have a very intense background in psychology, and I think it's transferred more into your business dealings than you realize. Because, I mean, we touched on it earlier. There is a mental switch that happens when someone decides to make themselves physically uncomfortable to chase a goal. And you are that coach that provides not only that inspiration and that motivation for them to do it, but you provide the game plan on how to get there. I mean, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the psychology behind your training? I mean, what's the what's the I want to call it what's the therapy that goes into those sessions? Okay, so when I first meet a client, um, I want to talk to them for at least an hour about whatever it is that they want to talk about, even if they haven't purchased anything. I just want to get to know them. Because not only and are they seeing if they want to train with me, I'm seeing if they have the right mindset because I'm not going to force you to do anything. If you're not ready, that's totally fine. I can refer you to someone who's going to you know, get you get you to that point to where you're ready to make that change. Um, and so that's where the health, health coach part comes in, um, because my duty, my job is not to um, my job is to take you from where you are to where you want to go. So there's a certain amount of work that already has to be done um, beforehand, before you get, get to me. Um, but once you get to me and you understand that this is what you want to do um, and this is you know, how you're gonna do it, um, I'm totally on board to, to get you there. But the first step in all of this is understanding that the mental is always gonna be more important than the physical when it comes to any type of training. Because if you're not mentally prepared, how are you going to execute? If you don't have a plan, how are you going to execute? Maybe you come to me and you don't necessarily have a plan, and that's totally fine. That's where the health coach part comes in, and we figure it out together. I'm not about pulling you to where you want to go. I'm walking beside you. And so at the end of the day, understanding that in order to get to where you want to go, you have to be uncomfortable. My job is to push you a little bit outside of your comfort zone, not so much the way you fall off the cliff, but enough to where you see that, oh, I can do this. Um, oh, and it is possible. Because one of my, like, I'm, like I said, one of my gifts is my ability to affect change. Um, and how I do that is by getting to know you and understanding how, uh, what motivates you, what demotivates you, what, um, what experiences in your life has helped to shape who you are. Because all those things are things that I use to help you realize that it's not as hard as you think to change your body. If you have the positive attitude or if you're trying to have the positive attitude or if you want to have the positive attitude and you have no idea how to even go about doing that, that's where I come in. Um, and it's not so much about me telling you what to do more than it is about me showing you that you have the capability and you have the tools right now to get to where you're trying to go. Because if you are on that path, then as you go along, you will realize things and things doors will open and you're like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and there's things that you find out about yourself along the way. For example, one of my clients, she always wants to be perfect the first time she does it. And she's looking at me, somebody who's been a, a boxer for 10 years and saying, why can't I do it like you? And my answer is, how long have you been doing this? And what's your favorite reference? And they're like, you know what? You're, you're, you're right. Like, you just started this like five seconds ago and you expect it to be 
100% right now. Doesn't work like, that way. And I, right. And I tell people to treat yourself how you treat a baby. You're going to make sure a baby has food to eat every time they're hungry. You're going to make sure your baby is freshly clothed. You're going to make sure your baby, their, their skin is lotion. Um, you're going to make sure that your baby is happy. As adults, we don't do that for ourselves. So that's why I tell everybody, my main thing is treat yourself like you would treat your baby. Literally. Like if your baby is hurting, what do you do? You rub their legs. Or if your baby is crying, you soothe them. Why don't we soothe ourselves? And so exercising has so many positive effects on you mentally. Um, And sometimes I don't even tell my clients what they are. And when they realize, oh my gosh, like I worked out today and then I went up, I went up 10 flights of stairs and I was barely out of breath. Mm -hmm. Okay. And two weeks ago, you said you couldn't go up the stairs. Mm -hmm. Nothing that much changed in two weeks, but your mental. So it's all about knowing that we are always capable of more than what we think we are and helping people understand that not by telling them, but by putting them in position to see it for themselves. And I'm going to tag into that. I have seen transformations everywhere that I've worked. I have seen people who've come in with no background or an expert background, and I have seen confidence grow when they work yeah. with top notch professionals. And mm-hmm. the key and here's the, the and here's the the key common factor. It's consistency. It's yes. practice. And I'll tell you exactly. from, and I'll tell you from my own personal experience, um, just with my attitude, I have not always been the most um, positive, upbeat, look at the sunny side type person. I was, I was actually raised quite the opposite way. Um, mm-hmm. I have to practice and I continue to practice every day. What's the positive in this? What's the good thing? What is the small victory that I accomplished today that can help her, uh, that can help propel me to where I want to be. So physically I may not see as many small wins as I used to, but mentally and in the business world, I see it, I am starting to count those all the time. And as I do it, my confidence grows more and more and more. The same thing will happen for you if you stay with the plan, if you count the small victories. If you, if for instance, you want to hit a speed bag, you're not going to hit a speed bag perfectly when you first jump on it. Trust me. It's if you, exactly. if you do, we need to talk about how we can get you involved with boxing or, or UFC. and I, On a competitive I, level. Right. <laughs> you know, it, but, you know, it's going to take some time. But the more you practice at it, next thing you know, you get your rhythm down and then you're golden. You know, exactly. give yourselves time, people. All right. So, exactly. Tavisha, we, we've been on here for a while. You've definitely filled our listeners about who you are, what you're about, what you're here for. Um, what's the... We'll we'll get to the social connections here in a minute, but you have a few live events coming up here in the Valley. Why don't you go ahead and fill our listeners in? So every Saturday, I have I offer a live Facebook live class. Uh, it's free, and it's at eight thirty a.m. Yes, I know that that's early, but um, I want to make sure that I'm able to reach any uh, anyone across the United States. So that makes it eleven thirty on the East Coast, um, and. That gives you an idea so, to look at my services, but also an idea to work with me. Um, well, obviously, you can see me, and I'm and I don't, and I'm not able to see you. But I also offer in-person classes. Right now, there's two week. There's one on Sunday at 9 a.m. every Sunday at 9 a.m. at Sundance Park in Buckeye, um, Arizona, which is in the West Valley. And then I also have one on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. Um, at Roadrunner Park. 
which is in Scottsdale, Paradise Valley area. So if you are in either one of those, feel free to come by um, or stop in or drop me a line on my Facebook page. My Facebook page is Elbow Grease Boxing Fitness and Strength Training. That's where you'll find the class um, every uh, Saturday morning. And I also am, like I said, um, I didn't actually say, I'm a virtual and in-person coach, sports-specific coach to be exact. So those are the things that I have coming up. And then I'm about to start a four-week program as well. Look out for that. If you do decide to uh, look more into the services that I offer, there will be a special discount code for you guys, for anyone who signs up for any one of my services through the Believe um, podcast. And there will be a link um, in the show notes for that as well. There's going to be a link for everything she just mentioned, folks. You, you know I make it easy for you. You you know that I know you. I know that you guys like to click something, and, and that's it. That's all you want to do. I'll, I'll make it as easy as possible for you. Tavisha, you have been an excellent guest, and just like all the guests in the past, I always like to ask this. State of the industry. The fitness industry in a whole is very vast, it's very diverse, and it's always moving in some direction, whether we realize it or not. How do you feel yes. the state of our industry is currently, and what do you think we can do to make it a little bit better? Well, if you listen to um, the owners of gyms right now, they would say that the fitness industry is under attack due to COVID, but I highly disagree with that. We're just in a transitional period. And you have to be able to pivot. And that's what I had to do. I had no choice. So I pivoted. Um, I believe that virtual fitness is on its way up. I do believe that there will always be a place for brick and mortar gyms as well as smaller studios. But I think that um, the, next, the next niche is going to be virtual fitness. And I'm just glad that I'm able to get in on the ground floor uh, with that. I think that um, the options for fitness will be as vast and diverse as you want them to be. And it's just a matter of figuring out what works for you. <laughs> and with that said, Tavisha, thank you for your participation today and good luck in all future endeavors. Thank you so much, Ann. It was a pleasure to uh, speak with you today. Man, if her story does not inspire you to get up, get out and be the best you that you can be, something might be wrong with you. Go ahead and click that like and share button right now. I know it's a, I know it's a hassle. But go ahead and do it, man. I love bringing you good guests like this, and I want to keep elevating the competition. With that said, make sure you get out there and vote and stay cool, Phoenix. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.